What's up, everyone? You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam Graham-Felson. I'm a therapist. Sam's a novelist. Each week, we're joined by a special guest to answer your questions and hopefully get a few of our own questions answered as well. Our guest this week is Adam Linehan. Adam is a writer and a veteran. Adam served in the U.S. Army as a combat medic in Iraq and Afghanistan from 2006 to 2012, and he recently published an essay in the New York Times about his struggle with survivor's guilt. We talked to him about that in depth, and he also helps us answer a question from a man who's struggling with some unhealthy behaviors when his girlfriend goes out of town. Enjoy. You went in um, after the invasion of oh, yeah. Iraq and Afghanistan. So you went in the middle of the violence. So you you knew going in that this was not going to be a picnic. Mm-hmm. So um, like, can you can you just like take us back a little bit to the to the kind of mental state you were in when, when you got to basic training and just, just, I mean, what, what are you thinking girding yourself for what, what's to come? Are you, are you trying not to think about it? Are you psyching yourself up to think about all the possibilities? What was it like? I mean, you know, you, there's no way to kind of imagine what the army is like, unless you've been in the army, you know, I'm not saying you guys can't understand what I'm talking about, but it's just like, it's not really, it wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. There's no precedent for it. Is that kind of what you Yeah. There's no precedent in like in civilian society. Exactly. That's a great way to put it. Um, And so, you know, going in, I had kind of a romantic understanding of all of this stuff, you know, and I, you know, thought, well, look at the statistics. Like, it's worth the gamble, right? I'm probably not going to die and I'm probably not going to get wounded. And I, you know, but there's also, and there's a chance that I could come out of this a better person and I can kind of start to actually pursue the things that I want to pursue in life. And, um, you know, the, the closer you, you know, I got to, you know, the shit, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of phases of realizations, you know, first, you know, basic training, you, you realize like America isn't, you know, my, I only saw one little tiny piece of America, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have people from all walks of life who come into the army and for all in, in 2006 for like a lot of people were running from stuff. You know, there was that like, go to, go to war, go to jail thing going on, you know, you had a lot of misfits. You had a lot of, I mean, there was one kid who like told, he was from the Bronx, um, this like Bangladeshi kid. And he, and he, and he, um, said, I'm going to the deli. And he just went in the recruiter, picked him up and, and he called on the first day, you know, they give you like a 30 second phone call to tell his parents that that's where he, that he had come to the army. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, so that was the first big realization, you know, and, um, Iraq. I went to Iraq. I worked in a prison. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't scared, you know, going to that deployment. I was never scared on that deployment. You know, it was an eye opener in terms of like, wow, this is how our government does business. It was, you know, just a really, you know, the notion of basically sweep doing mass arrest of any, you know, of fighting age males, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times without any evidence and putting them in these camps to indoctrinate them was, was what we were there to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then when I got to Afghanistan with the infantry and I had volunteered for that deployment and, um, you Why'd know, you do that. Like, were you 
you hungering for something more or what were I, I realized that I had gotten myself into basically a situation. This is, was my thinking back then that um, I had joined the army during a time of war. And if I didn't actually go to war, it was going to ride me for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. Mm -hmm. And I know that I know veterans who, who struggle with that, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's a real thing. And yeah. so I was like, I, I have yeah. to do this. And I still didn't really, I just still didn't know, you know, what I was getting myself into. And, as we were leapfrogging into Kandahar in 2010, you know, we were going like very rural, rural place. And, you know, it was like the flight into Kandahar Air Force Base. And then like the briefings and like them telling you like how these are all the different types of IEDs that are out there. We like ran into the unit that we, one of the units that was coming out of there at the, you know, at the airfield and this guy just being like, man, y'all are going to lose people. Yeah. And I mean, just getting increasingly, increasingly more scared. And, and, you know, that's like, I think when I, I, this is the most fucked up, one of the most fucked up things that I have ever done. I called my mom and I just said, I'm so scared. I'm so, I'm sorry that I did this. I'm, um, and that freaked, freaked my mom out. Yeah. I don't think we talked one another time for the deployment. I mean, it was, you know, that must have been really traumatic for her. And, um, and uh, you know, then we go on, get on helicopters and we go to this one base and like, we're like, you know, like flying in and the, the door gunner just like starts opening up with this 50 cal. I'm like, well, what's this? I don't know yeah. what he was shooting. He might've yeah. just been doing test fires or something, but yeah. I was just like, so fucking scared. And then they were like building up this fob and woke up in the morning and there was just a massive firefight like between the Taliban and the Afghan army happening like right outside the, these like HESCO barriers. And, you know, there was like a mass casualty and, you know, situation, a bunch of people, a bunch of civilians got caught in the crossfire. And then they're like, yeah, so like today we're like driving out there and mm -hmm. we're like going to the outpost like that we're taking over. We get, the, you know, I mean, I'm just like, well, this is when I die by 90. Sorry. I'm, I went no, on no. Yeah, so no just, just to, just to like freeze frame for a second. Like when, when you're feeling that fear, right? Like I'm just trying to imagine, um, like if somebody told me that when I get on the Q train to go home today, there's like, I don't know, a, even like a 1% chance mm. that a bomb will go off on the train. Mm -hmm. Um, like my I body feel like, would be wrecked. Yeah. I just feel like I wouldn't anxiety. be able to breathe. And, and, uh, yeah. just like even a 1% chance. I mean, think about how, think about how much of Americans, um, are driven by fear of like their mm. house getting broken into when that's like a one in a million chance or whatever. Yeah. Right. Mm. And how scared they are of that. So you're, you're being told by a guy like you're going to lose people. You're going to lose people. Yeah. How do you do, like, do people, how do people fall asleep? Like, like, how do you just, how do you function with that fear or were there, were there techniques? You it just, does. yeah. I mean, that, so it was, it was, I mean, I had never felt kind of fear like that. I had never, and it was really intense, you know, for the first few, maybe first week, I would say, you know, yeah, first week. And as we were getting closer and closer, you know, then we get to this outpost and I, there's Afghan soldiers just blasting this dishka into the neighboring village. And they're like, yeah, he does this like every evening at 5 PM. And, uh, you know, the guys we replaced had gone like totally like native. They had beards and cut off their sleeves. They were juicing. They were like, 
it was they they were like hardcore and they like were doing this thing you know movement to contact which is this tactic where you just go look for a fight okay you know so you oh that's where the insurgents are you know we drew fire and then we're now we know where they're hiding out so they did a lot of movement to contact and they were like if you guys came to like party you know this is the place and um and that was really freaked me out. Yeah, what is that like when other people are super gung ho about it? You get like, gung ho. You do. Oh man, I mean that's like a big part. I think kind of of the guilt for me at least. Mm. Like I, you know, once once the boredom sets in and it is boring. You know, when the army is boring, it is it is un it is like next level supernaturally boring. You gotta like, explain that. Like, like do, I mean, you'd think that would be a relief, but. Oh man, no. I mean, the, the first day in the army when, you, you know, they don't tell you, you have to wait for like sometimes like two, three weeks just to end the in-processing station to start basic training. So you think you're going to get off the ground running and they just have you standing in formation mm. for all day, <laughs> just waiting in line and just in like in a formation. And then that becomes a line to get chow. Then you're back in the formation and people are just yelling at you <laughs> and like, and you're just staring at the walls, you yeah. know, like, um, and so in Africa, yeah, in Afghanistan, like there's a lot of bugs. There's a lot of things that just like boredom isn't like comfortable, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The way it was hot, you know, and like, and eventually like I started to just be like, man, I want to like get this going, you know? And, um, and it just kind of like slowly escalated, you know, there was, you know, we'd have, you know, like it started off with like snipers and IEDs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And when, you know, then just, they, they take their, took their time getting to know how we operated versus how the unit before us operated. Um, I'm curious, like what the culture was among the guys, like in terms of, admitting that you were scared. I mean, you have this really powerful moment in your, in your piece, which I want to dive into, um, uh, where, where one of your fellow soldiers tells you how scared he is when Mm. you're, when you're lying on the floor. But, um, was there like a culture of like, do not admit that you're scared. Do not complain. Like, was there like, you're a bitch if you complain kind of thing, or was it more common than you might think? Um, I, Everyone was pretty open, I think, with their fear. Um, soldiers complain a lot, but that's when you're going to get in some dicey territory. I mean, I remember my squad, one of my squad leaders, because I jumped around squad. This guy I looked, I still look up to. I mean, I think he's like one of the coolest people I've ever met. Just a real fucking solid dude. You know, just like came up from nothing and just was just like turned into like an, an incredible person and everyone looked up to him. You know, and, um, and I was, they, I was up in the guard tower one, one, um, one day and it started pouring rain, very rare that it rains over there. And I asked someone, can y'all put my rucksack under like a, you know, a poncho or something? And no one did. And I went in and we slept in the field. I had to sleep. Like, I'm like, I'm going to be sleeping in a wet, um, sleeping bag for like the next week. Like you guys just fucked me over, you Mm -hmm. know? And I'm just so pissed off and i'm like in the tent and i'm just going off and i just heard hey doc and i was like man!" and i turned around as this squad leader and he was like you bitch more than any fucking grown man that i've ever fucking known and he was like ready to throw down and i'm like nope i'm fucking (laughs) 
I'm out. I'm out of this tent. Like, you know, it was really kind of humiliating moment for me. Yeah. And also it hurt because we were really close. Yeah. But I appreciated that. Like I now don't really like people who complain. Uh And, um, and I think like, you know, soldiers keep each other in check as long as you're genuine, as long as you are who, you know, you purport, purport yourself to be, Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll be fine. And you know, bullying is a thing that happens in certain platoons and, you know, it, it did happen in, in our platoon, but, um, in terms of, you know, having to be really courageous, I mean, towards the end of the deployment, like even our NCOs were like, we don't want to go on patrol anymore. Like trying to like, you know, like going to the Lieutenant being like, this is fucking stupid. There's no point. Mm. Like, why are we going out there and risking our lives for this shit? Like, let's just not go. Yeah. You know? Um, so I think we were pretty open with the fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very honest environment. There's no, there's in an infantry platoon. There's no secrets in an infantry platoon, especially when you're deployed. So your <clears throat> the worst fear came true for you, obviously. Um, and, uh, and you wrote about it in, in the piece and, um, can you just tell us, tell us what happened? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, trying to think to kind of put this in the context. Um, so like snipers and IEDs were like, a, became an escalating problem where we were. Um, at one point, my friend killed this guy who turned out to be the son of, um, the village elder of the the village next door to our first outpost. And we kind of lost his blessing at that point and things started to kind of escalate and guys started to get hurt, you know, within our company. And, you know, there was like convoys were just getting blown up, like right outside of our outpost, you know, pretty free, like consistently. And, um, and, you know, but, you know, you know, you develop a routine for like, okay, you, look at the ground and you, you know, when you're walking, when you're patrolling, keep an eye out for IEDs. And, you know, as soon as the bullets start to fly, you, you know, you react and you, you know, react to contact, you know, and that was kind of the, the rhythm that we got into. And, you know, one day we were just kind of having one of those days and, um, you know, took some sniper fire and stuff. And, um, and that's what I talk about in the essay is, kind of, I, I remember I was behind this wall and these, this machine gun team, it's a two man machine gun team. And they were um, both standing up and I'm like, you know, just get, get down. Cause uh, you know, as a medic, like, I don't want to treat you guys like, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, um, and they were just like, no nah, doc, you're being a pussy. And they're just like standing up there. And I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I am. And I stood up and as soon as I did this bullet, I mean, it was so close that like my mind visualized the bullet, mm. you know, like, and, um, in, between my head and, and this, yeah. you know, this, um, this soldier's name, Jake, his head. And, uh, we both hit the ground and he looked at me and just very, very earnestly, um, you know, said, I'm, I'm afraid to die. Like, I don't let me die. Or no, he didn't say, don't let me die. He said, I don't want to die. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, don't let me die. Did it you was, hear it like that? Like, did you feel responsible? Oh yeah. I, I heard it as don't let me die. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's a heavy thing. It was a heavy thing, man. And that really, and so, you know, kind of an hour later, we are all 
walking into walking back to our outpost and just I had been with those guys and I split off because to go smoke a cigarette with another for with a friend of mine who was further up in the formation and then like lit the cigarette and there was just like this massive explosion behind us and I jumped I thought they were it was an RPG or something and I looked in this field there was this big gray dome of smoke over this field where you know the rest of our platoon was and you know when an IED blows up it the uh the shock wave goes straight up you know it's like in a hole so it shoots straight up and it has like this like this leaves like an exclamation mark up in the air you know mm -hmm. and this was like something different you know because when a suicide suicide bomber goes off you know they're it's wrapped around them you know this guy had grenades and ball bearings like all over his body and so it's meant to the shockwave to go out yeah and i had never even thought about that and at what level right an ied hits you from beneath you mm -hmm. know this one strikes you fairly straight on mm -hmm. and um mm -hmm. me and my uh rrto were ran towards the smoke and there was this like little wadi you know it's like these like they have like this like irrigation system you know it's like all of these like creeks i guess mm -hmm. you know but they're usually dry and uh, we got to the edge of the wadi and on the other side was the field. And I just heard our RTO, who's a friend of mine, uh, just start vomiting. Wow. And um, yeah, it was, I had never imagined that um, some, that life could just look so horrific. And it was there was a lot of emotions running high people, the Afghan soldiers were shooting their guns in the air. And, um, you know, at one point, um, someone picked up the leg of the suicide bomber. Cause there was just these two legs, like still wearing the sandals there and, and threw it yeah. like as hard as he could. And he was like, fuck everyone in this country, you know? And like, that's how everyone was. But I was like, you know, as a medic, like, you know, you just got to do your job. And so I was just, you know, trying to just get everyone to calm down and like, let's just focus on this. Like someone accidentally shot one of the casualties at one point. Like it was like, it was a mess. And Were you by yourself? Like, or was there another medic with you or? I was, um, for the first maybe seven minutes or something, it was me seven to 10 minutes. And then my, my, my buddy showed up cause they were at this outpost. They just ran, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and when it was, yeah, when it was just me, I, I, um, you know, I was really overwhelmed and I, okay. and I didn't, because it was the, the, in, the injuries of the guys who survived were quite complex, especially one in particular. And, um, and, uh, I didn't realize it was a suicide bomber, like even at the legs and all of this. Mm -hmm. And. Um, no one could, and then my buddy who was wounded, he had, he told me, you know, what had happened as oh. I was bandaging him up oh. and, um, yeah, it was heavy. And, you know, and I saw that kid who, you know, um, I say kid, but you know, he's a man, um, who had said that he, he didn't want to die. And I had this really, really profound kind of, and I can only, the only way that I can describe it is like, I just. It was like a, what's, like, I, I didn't see God, but I, I like felt God. And mm -hmm. I like remember looking at the sky 
And there's just this very kind of clear message being communicated to me that like you did this, like, like you, this was exactly what you wanted. Here it is, you know? And like, I, man, uh, I sat, I, I carried that until a year ago. Wow. I started to really, you know, be like, what, wait, how? And then yeah. like, um, you know, everyone was very distraught, obviously. And I was completely numb and I thought, well, of course, here's evidence that I don't feel, you know? <laughs> But I was the medic. I had to keep it yeah, under wraps, you yeah, know? Yeah, of course. And um, What's, I'm just curious, sorry to interrupt, but like you've gone over this so many times, How? Mm. but like, what is it like talking to us about it? Like how, what's, how is it to talk about it? It's, I mean, this is like, it. it's, it's strange. I mean, I, and I, the only, you know, the reason I'm comfortable being here is because, or doing this is like, First, I spoke. I've spoken with the mother of the soldier that I'm talking about. Yeah. I I have heard from many members of my platoon since this essay published, yeah. and they were all extremely supportive. Like oh. we got your back, you know. I'm so glad. And they, you know, it rang true. I was so scared about that, and because this is a personal story for all of us. Yeah. And it was just something like that. I just like, you know, it's, but I. Um, I think it's we got to talk about this kind of stuff because this yeah. is like this is what the war was. This is what you send soldiers to do, and it's, and it's in you know it's usually not glorious. Well, that's what I you know you said like a little while ago. Like there's um, I'm not good on my army lingo, but you said there are no secrets like in your in an in, infantry platoon, in yeah. an infantry platoon, and and so much of your piece is is about secrecy in a way. Like what's secret, what's yeah. not. What can you talk about? What do you need to pretend like didn't happen? Yeah. That I mean, seems like that's the heart of it. Yeah. You know I, mean? I mean, that's, that is really, it's, you know, it's a breakdown in communication and there is a bit serious breakdown in communication right now, the military and civilians look at military bases, what they've become since Vietnam, these towns, right? you know, they have, you know, they're their all, own worlds. They're like native American reservations, uh -huh. you know? They're yeah. like repositories of guilt. You know, they've just become, they're more ruralized and like they're more contained and like they don't really have much interaction with the civilian population. And look at Iraq and Afghanistan. That lesson was already learned in Vietnam. And yeah. you know who we didn't listen to? The Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. And that's Republicans and Democrats. You know, I've, I've interviewed many Vietnam veterans and it was not just the liberals. It was both sides. Mm -hmm. Both sides had a really kind of um, unrealistic notion of what was going on. And they rejected the truth and they isolated the Vietnam veteran in the truth. And he suffered immensely for it. There has never been a Vietnam veteran president and there never will be. Mm -hmm. um, we have a draft dodger as a president. And that is, I mean, it make, that makes complete sense to me because of course the smarter person wouldn't have gone to Vietnam, right? Mm -hmm. If you if you were if you went to Vietnam, then you were a sucker. Why didn't you get the Why didn't you get a, a deferment? Why didn't you get a doctor to write you a note? Yeah, you know. And I respect the hell out of Vietnam veterans. You know, the guy. I mean, the, in, I mean, particularly the ones who were able to kind of triumph. Mm -hmm. um, that is a you know a really hard road. Yeah.
if you ever have like 30 minutes, go watch on cspan.com or whatever the um the video of the when they um the dedication ceremony in, yeah. in I think it's 1982 for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall. It's really extremely powerful. You know, mm. you have like guys still in uniform, you know, coming out of the woodworks like they had never, you know, they still haven't come home. They're still living mm. like they're out in the boonies, you know, mm. and it's like and you just have like this like really. You know, you have like working class people and businessmen and, you know, and they all come together and the speeches are just so powerful. And Jan Scruggs, man, I have so much respect for that guy, you know. Can, can and, you explain actually in, in the you interview um, Scruggs, yeah. who, who, who was behind the push to uh, to get the wall created. Mm -hmm. And he makes I mean, there's this I, I actually didn't know that was the reason why the names on the wall are arranged the way they are. Can you talk yeah. about that decision and, and, and why that's so meaningful for veterans? Yeah. So Jan Scruggs, you know, he had a, a master's degree in psych in, in psychology. Um, and so, you know, when he, the idea of the memorial was that this was going to be something that would help heal, you know, um, the, the Vietnam veterans. And, um, and so he went in, into it with that attitude and he he was like a big um you know a, a devoted reader of carl Jung and um and really believed in this notion that the hero when the hero you know the hero's journey isn't complete until he's like come home and managed to integrate everything that he kind of all of the knowledge and stuff that he accumulated on his journey in the unknown you know um and integrated into his life, his normal life. He arranged the names by um, by date of casualty as opposed to um, alphabetical order. So if it was alphabetical, it would have been much easier to find these things. But he wanted the names to be grouped together so soldiers who had been in, um, had witnessed mass casualty in incidents, had survived mass casualty incidents, would be taken back to that moment. Yeah. And see those names su that superimposed over his reflection. Yeah. And remember how easy it could have been for him to be up there and acknowledge it and address it. Because that really, um, you know, and when I started to get into Carl Jung and all of this and like being like, you have to face that. That's the dragon. You know, you have to face like your mortality and your limitations as an individual and as a human being, you know, and because ever since I got back, I mean, it's like, I, I, in retrospect, I realized like I ran away from like everyone that I loved. Like I, I left town. I, I went home to Austin. I finished my degree and I, I came immediately to New York and I created a lot of distance between myself and the people who I cared about because I, just couldn't bear the thought of like being close to people and seeing them die and losing them. And, um, you know, in my relationship, um, you know, that was a, uh, that was an issue too, because I just would be like, I don't, I don't Closer want to, you this get, person. the scarier it is. Yeah. Way. Yeah. yeah. Can uh, I ask you, it was, I don't know if this is like, did I answer the question by the yeah, way? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, and, and more so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. This is, I don't know if this is a fucked up idea or, or accurate, but it almost seems like the hard thing 
to admit in a way is like feeling glad that it wasn't you. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. Is yep. That- oh, for sure. I mean, I remember that was the first thing um, I thought, you know, and this was, so this wasn't the only time I saw people get killed over there. Veterans, well, sorry, with, I've read, come across research that says research from World War II that was conducted during World War II that said, that found that like soldiers would hone in, home in on one specific experience that would kind of summarize, you know, the war, the trauma, all of the trauma, you mm-hmm. know? So for me, it really, it, it was this moment. Um, and, uh, God, what was I, where I'm so sorry. Can we edit no. that out? Where, yeah, yeah. What was the question again? I, I just asked if part of it is about being glad that it wasn't you, you know, being glad that you're still alive. Yeah. So we, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a, that's a big part of it. And I, and I remember, um, with, with that incident, the suicide bombing and, and other, a few other incidents, um, my first thought every time was, thank God it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And I, holy shit, I could have been one of those, one of those bodies. Yeah. And, um, one of the last things I did as a, as a medic over there, um, was like this, um, this, this guy in our unit, he knelt on a, on a landmine up on the top of this like Sandy Hill. And I remember just like getting up to the top of this hill. I had to run up this hill and just like them being like, this is like a minefield right here. And his, you know, his leg was blown off and he was just like, doc, you know? And I remember being like, this is it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to die. This is here. it. Yeah. Like my rocks, my luck's run up and, um, but yeah, he survived and, uh, and I was super shaken up by that, you know, just these moments, mm. you know, even like early on in the deployment, I fell down a well and that what? was, I mean, completely Holy like, shit. you know, we just, me and my buddy just went through the, the, the earth yeah. and it was like the, the earth had swallowed me up intentionally. It felt like, and I remember like, as were we, this thing, this barrel fell underneath us and basically clogged the hole and as we were you know starting to get out the walls started to cave in <sighs> and just being like man wow this is how i die yeah this is like a way that i could die and i in just being like what a joke my life was what did you what am i doing here mm-hmm. what was why did i like go against all of the advice that had been all in, in ignored all of the red flags and no one's going to ever be able to make sense of this. My parents are never going to be able to make sense of this. And I remember saying, thinking all I want is someone to tell them the truth of what happened because I didn't want them to be consumed by the fantasy that I, that had ended my life in that moment. And this all, this was like, you know, my life flashing before my eyes kind of moment. And it just, it, it lasted a little bit longer than, you know, when a a bullet whizzes by your head or something, you know, that was like, but I remember that and that stuck with me in a big way. And I've, I've, um, maybe, you know, I would say just as much as anything else that happened over there, you know, that was combat related. This wasn't, you know, but so I, I have tremendous, I don't really, when people say, I can't, I can't imagine what you've been through and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, have you ever, 
feared for your life in any yeah. situation? Have you yeah. ever been in a car accident or whatever, you know? Right. Have you ever seen death? Have you ever lost a parent? You know, like all the messages, there's all, you know, the same message is being conveyed here. Yeah. You know, like life that, is brutal. That phrase, I can't imagine. I actually think that that's a horrible phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you know what? Just try to imagine it, you know? Yeah. And and guess what? If if someone reads your piece, they can imagine it. And yeah. that's, 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 that's awesome. the power of writing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's the power of description. That's the power of talking about this shit. Yeah. It, it gives us the ability to try to imagine it. And um, I just want to say like, um, you know, we haven't talked directly, um, you know, about kind of what, what, what's at the heart of, of his piece. And I, I just encourage our, our listeners to, to read the piece yeah, thank you. Um, uh, right away. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful piece, but I think one of the things that is just, just new about it that I hadn't seen was, um, you know, that, that it's about survivor's guilt and, um, and even, you know, PTSD is taboo for, I guess, a lot of, um, veterans to acknowledge in themselves. It's become way less taboo, obviously, because there's a huge crisis around mm-hmm. veteran suicides. But I think, um, I imagine survivor's guilt is, is totally rampant. And, uh, and mm-hmm. the fact that you wrote about this is going to make it less taboo. And, um, and just as a small, you know, and, and I think it's I I am I think and you gotta get at this in your essay, but I think it's it's taboo in part because it seems like what the fuck is survivor skill? You know what I mean? Like yeah. like what really like you like you're complaining that you didn't die and but I just want to say like my my grandfather and grandmother um uh escaped the Nazis. There were there were Jews in Germany. Mm. And um and I think survivor's guilt killed my grandmother she committed suicide mm. and my grandfather lived in um a mental prison his entire like life a joyless life uh i mean i think he i think he accessed a tiny bit of joy towards the end of his life mm. but he didn't have what your grand what your grandfather had which was which was resorting to to drinking and mm. he had workaholism he just poured everything into his work and just didn't just felt this endless sense of like i shouldn't be alive i have to i have to uh kind of earn every second mm-hmm. and there's no space for joy or gratitude or just a feeling of like gladness of, yep. being, of, of not having been killed in the Holocaust like his sister was and thinking about just the guilt issues. Like he was really smart. He got really fucking good grades as a result of getting a perfect report card. He got one of those visas that said, you know, this kid's really smart. He'll mm. be, he'll like make a lot of money in America and be a great guy in America. So they let him in. And his sister didn't get one of those. And I imagine that was a big part of that, that guilt. But anyway, I just, that's uh, incredible, man. but it's, 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 I just was, was really, uh, moved by the piece. And uh, I think it's really important. I, I yeah. just want to thank you for writing. Yeah. It, no. So. Yeah. Thanks. Like I'm, I'm so glad that it's resonated with people that, you know, I, for me, um, it would have been an utter failure if, First and foremost, if it didn't resonate with veterans, um, that was like why I went, took a lot of painstaking effort to make sure that I was describing my own experience as accurately as possible. And Lauren at, uh, you know, the New York Times Magazine, Lauren Katzenberg, she does the at war section, was good about kind of keeping me to that task and being like, is this like the most, you know, honest explanation of what's going on with you? And so it had to resonate with, with veterans. And, um, but it also had to resonate with 
civilians because what I wanted to show is that this is a problem for us all. Yeah. You know, like look at this country. This country was, you know, after World War II, the America that we know was built by a bunch of survivors. You know, they came home from this this war and they just got to work and they pumped out a lot of kids like people with survivor guilt. You know, that's a common no, I'm, I can't say common thing, but it's just I've seen, you know, in the research, yeah. this is like a trend that's been observed. Um, you know, they worked really hard. They partied really, really hard. And um, and this is our this is the country. they built. Right, we're like living with. Yeah. Them. Yeah. You know, my okay. wife just sort of said that to me, like offhand one day, like, I don't know, we talk about masculinity a lot because that's my thing. <laughs> and she was just like, you know, you think about like, like all of the generations of men in this country and how many served. Right. And like, and our notions of what it means to be a man, how much of it is informed by, by veterans and by survivors. Mm. And that, and we really think about that when we, when we look mm. to like, to our fathers and to our grandfathers about about how we should be, you know? And, and I just think about like what they're, what they're holding, you know, whether that's, whether it's hard to show love or whether it's an insistence on work, like on pouring yourself mm -hmm. into your work that like it infiltrates, you know, it infiltrates our whole culture. Absolutely. I mean, I think that like, you know, we would really benefit from a realistic understanding of, uh, you know, World War II and its repercussions, uh, because there's a lot of nostalgia around World War II. You know, like the armies like got back to these like throwback like um, uh -huh. uniforms, the pink and greens, you know, dress uniforms and stuff like that. And it's like, I mean, uh, those they were heroes. You know, the 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 people who fought in that war. You know, and you know our guys, our yeah. side, and um, uh, but they the the people they came home to be should probably not be models of like human behavior for the rest of us. Yeah. Because like they were dealing with some serious shit mm -hmm. and like, um, and so we look up to them and we, we look, but we're, you know, there's certain aspects of them that we, that we're admiring that is coming from like a, you know, a really kind of broken place Yeah, in this, this, you know, real laconic, you know, just, keep your head down and, you know, get to work and stuff like that. Yeah, like that's uh, yeah, that's a kind of a bleak existence, yeah. you know? I mean, you've actually read the research, but I'm just pop psychologizing, but it's amazing to think about like, you know, how that world war two generation probably created a huge amount of like the epidemic we have of men just like not ever being able to like, talk about their feelings, you know, mm -hmm. like, it, I mean, that must be a huge part of, uh, I can't imagine yeah. it started there, but I mean, there, I'm just thinking about how many wars yeah. that preceded that yeah. too, you know, yeah. but I mean, but yeah, but then, then just the, the size of this one yeah, and right, like the, the economic right. ramifications mm -hmm. of it and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, think about this. There was the biggest war in human history. It just happened. And right. we act like we're out of its shadow. Yeah. Like it's, you know, in my opinion, the war never ended it just was dispersed right you know and you know it's like the past is not past right? yeah <laughs> it's not i mean yeah. it, like einstein you know he he predicted you know like we we nuked and this has to be fact checked too but <laughs> like it's been a while we'll since get our I team on that okay yeah <laughs> um okay so einstein probably no I, i'm this is, he said um uh you know his regret was recommending you know the 
the use of the the development of the the atom bomb he was meant that to be specifically for germany in case like germany was actually going to hit us right mm-hmm. you know we need this it's us or them but he, he he was very critical of the use on japan because you he said you did that to just scare uh, russia and you just traumatized the world and mm-hmm. there's just going to be these like preventative wars you know to like in countries searching for weapons of mass destruction until there's like the next war and then that war is going to be like and he goes i don't know what world war three is going to be fought with but world war four is going to be fought with sticks and stones you know (laughs) yeah that's a good one (laughs) einstein's got a lot of good quotes this feels like a uh almost uh just a second piece from the conversation but we've got an advice question for you so we'll see if you can help us out hey man i've started to notice a habit that i've slipped into that is worrying me my girlfriend and i live together and she travels semi-regularly for her job when she's away i tend to do the same thing every time i smoke some weed play video games and order way too much food on seamless i might do this for a day or two and then i feel totally gross and disgusting the food in particular stresses me out I feel remorseful and regret it, and I think about it during the week. I feel like I I have to make up for it for the rest of that week or month by eating really healthy, but then that almost fuels the desire to get stoned and get takeout again, as if I've somehow earned it by being really good. I know a lot of guy friends who do something similar when their girlfriends go out of town, but I really feel guilty about this. She doesn't know or has never mentioned it to me, and I wouldn't want her to know. What should I do? Signed, Munchies in Midtown. So Munchies in Midtown is me. (laughs) Oh yeah. yeah, you can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to it too. Yeah, man. God. Um, I mean, I don't, uh, I definitely can relate to, I want to get into like stuff with food, but definitely like, I would just like to, I, it is kind of a, maybe not quite universal, but I'm, I'm speculating Sam that you can identify it too. Like if your wife or girlfriend goes out of town, like you just like, you go to seed or something oh like that. God. Like I don't understand really why I no, do it, yeah. but, but um, also, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my, my wife, I, I always like joke with her about this. She has no vices. Like she's not mm. a Puritan who's like uh, uptight or anything. She's actually a pretty chill person. She, she, she's one of Avi's oldest friends. You can attest to this. Yeah. She just doesn't have vices. So like, I don't have like a partner to get stoned with or <laughs> yeah. to drink with or whatever. And, and, and it's funny, like, I mean, now I have kids, so I can't do this. And usually when she's away, like I'm, I'm with the kids, so I can't, I just can't do this anymore. But anytime before she had kids, anytime she would go away, I'd be like, I'd like literally plan the menu in my head. Like, oh, yeah. First time you get this, uh, you know, like on that show, Louie, like when he does the bang bang, he goes to like the diner and yeah. the sushi place or the Indian place yeah, and yeah, the yeah. pizza place. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd like order like a bang bang, order <laughs> cinnamon, but like the just grossest shit. Yeah. And just and just um, you know, uh, like get stoned and eat until I was like unconscious with eating. Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> the, uh, you see yourself in this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And then I'd spend like the the last day, um, you know, before she got home, just cleaning the <laughs> shit out of the apartment, erasing all the evidence. You yeah, know. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to really. Like even just for myself, try and unpack. I'm not at, like, I can be disciplined about some things, but then other things I, I can't. And it's like, I don't know why I don't, I've never learned this lesson because it doesn't feel particularly good 
Yeah. Me. You're talking about eating in specific, like overeating or? Well, like definitely like, like I joke with my wife cause like on a quarterly basis, I will like go out by myself to Chinese food and then feel like sickened by what I ate. And it's like, how have I not put it together at this point that I should just stop? But well, you other indulge stuff, your bad habits. You indulge the things that you have to kind of relinquish in order for a, um, or put on pause in order for a, a relationship to work out. I guess that's true. Yeah. You know? Like you feel like. I can't really be that person and have this relationship. Yeah. And I think it's such, I mean, I'm trying to think about this, like, like what am I actually feeling when, when I do that stuff? Um, and, um, you know, it's almost like, Oh, it's like a break from like having to perform Mm. on like a level of like morality and responsibility all the time. And like, it's, and, and like, um, like, but, but almost like that's funny to think about it that way. It's like it's a performance to just be mm. uh, behaving normally and moderately <laughs> so that you can function well in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I'm laughing you know? And then the second she's and... out of there, I'm like, all right, back to the fucking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's yeah. But it's but it, I think that's and, and 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 he gets at that in this question, like talking about how he like. How how he then then he's like goes back to being super abstemious and, yeah as though he deserves yeah, to man yeah I mean I don't know if I with drinking something that I you know really have I do a lot um and with my so in the piece I talk about basically my relationship ending so like I'm uh, that's where I am like right now yeah and I'm like living out of my backpack so mm-hmm. um. And, but when, you know, it was, beca- it was an issue in the relationship for sure. And, um, there were a lot of things that, you know, I kept down because of the drinking, but when she would sometimes like, I, I went down from like eight beers a night to two and mm-hmm. for me, you know, and I was going for zero, you know, and, you know, <clears throat> I, I stayed at that too for a long time. And some nights, you know, that, you know, she'd say, just don't, don't drink tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I would not be able to sleep usually. And the next day I would go, you know, to the liquor store and get a little flask of, you know, whiskey and something and just drink that on top of those two beers, you know, mm. but hiding get, it from her. Right. And hiding it yeah. from her. Yeah. And I would really, you know, I would get drunk the next day in very, very, yeah, well, she's going to listen to this and she doesn't know that. So, but yeah, um, I don't know if it's the best kind of approach to, to life, you know, this like. Which part or <laughs> like the, like it, to me, I'm hearing it's like, like one of the things that. I was... earn that because I, what he's saying is like. Mm. I earn, you know, he said, I'll be, I'll be good. And now now I'm going to be bad. Yeah. And, you know, we, I think maybe as a society, we live in this kind of, that's our mentality. Mm -hmm. That's the the rhythm of our life. You know, Oh, thank God it's Friday, you know, and then it's just like get bombed, you know? Yeah. And so I think like, we're just kind of in the habit of like, we're constantly indulge. We like indulge and then we are hung over and we're like full of regret and like guilt and, Um, you know, I don't know when that started, 
<laughs> you know, maybe that started after World War II, you know? <laughs> Let's blame it all on the boomers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the guilt of like, you can't, I mean, yeah. you know, I, so I think like maybe that's the, that's the way that I can re really relate to it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I would never feel guilty when, no, I guess I would. I mean, I'd feel like a piece of crap if yeah. I was eating seamless and stuff like yeah. that. Um I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so one is like the attitude of like, I earned it. And also like, but part, and part of that is like, like putting yourself through, like beating yourself up over what you did. Cause maybe there's like a more compassionate way. Like if, like, I don't know when I was listening to you, Sam talk about it. Like I remember like, like for some reason it's really Chinese food for me. Cause it makes me feel like a kid. I don't know. It's like always been cause I'm Jewish too. And like, it's like that has like a lot of connotations. It's like, comfort food and so like to like slip into that mode like oh i can have that again like it's nice like you don't have to it seems harsh to have to choose like i have to be one way or another like you got both you can have more than one side to you mm -hmm. and like maybe it's okay to have the side that wants well, to unless, yeah unless mm. maybe you're a straight-up addict and in, in which case you can't really have both sides kind well of, i do like what i worry yeah. about with this guy is that if you keep feeling guilty and like it's something that you did wrong then you're gonna hide oh, it and yeah, then you're so gonna you like, like that yeah. yeah then you're gonna like it's gonna fuel addict behavior i think you know what i mean uh, i mean yeah i mean absolutely i mean so what he's talking about is guilt he feel he feels guilty for doing this um mm. and he's hiding something from his from his his spouse yeah and he doesn't and like and he's not okay with it himself right? yeah. yeah and i think like that's problematic mm -hmm. i mean i don't think it's problematic that he does this yeah where he indulges himself because literally every guy i know does that yeah i think that it's problematic that he is carrying that guilt around because guilt is so dis destructive yeah you know you you punish yourself for it in ways that you know maybe you don't realize you know you're you're tolerance for like you know you'll let people kind of you'll let the world beat you up a little bit more mm -hmm. you know the go the more guilty you feel the more you deserve you know you know punishment right and he's like punishing himself. Yeah, yeah you know and i think like and it's you know it drains your confidence it mm -hmm. gives you a lack of moral clarity mm. and you how know, do you mean like tell me what you mean that seems like a good I'm curious about that. You know, if you know your ability to say this is this is right and this uh -huh. is wrong, right? Because like, who you, am I? yeah, who am I to say? Yeah, and I've I've noticed that a lot of in my life incidences overseas and also here, when I was able to act the most decisively and gracefully, hmm. was when I had that perfect moral clarity mm -hmm. and. And so, like, I'm not saying we can all live with that moral clarity, but it is a better way of being, you know, if you're mm -hmm. always kind of just being like, you know, you know, doubting your ability to read the world in that way of yeah. what's what's wrong and what's right. So mm -hmm. I think, like, I mean, what's my advice to this guy mm -hmm. is to to just not keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wonder what that would be like, like to talk about, hey, when you go away. I'm just going to like totally de yeah. devolve into uh, and like I'm going to like that. I'm really looking forward to like relaxing and I'm going to get high. I'm going to order takeout. It's going to be great. Don't worry. The apartment will be clean when you get back. Yeah. And I mean, it's his girlfriend. I mean, or spouse. So, you know, it's just like, you know, she should be. You know, what's the what's the response that he's expecting? Yeah, like she may not love that. 
I don't know. She might not love it, but I don't. I mean, she gonna. I mean, it is a forgivable offense, mm-hmm. you know, to be to to just veg out on the couch every once in a while. Mm-hmm. That's a forgivable offense, and it's not, and it shouldn't have all of the weight that he's allowing it to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the thing I've been thinking about with this question is, what does it mean to have a healthy vice? Mm-hmm. versus an unhealthy vice. Like, how and, can you tell the difference? And Yeah, and like, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before when, when like, I started feeling like my enjoyment of drinking had become an un- unhealthy vice. Yeah. I think it was what you were talking about of, like, it wasn't just, like, TGIF kind of expectation. It was, like, TGI 5 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was, and it was, uh, it was, like, um, the insidious effect it had was that it was like, well, if it's four o'clock, I can't just be happy and enjoy myself. Yep. I have yeah. to wait until five exactly. so I can be fucking right. happy. Right. And I think, and I think that's the thing that scares me about this kind of thing. And, and you know, like a part of me is just like, bro, just forgive yourself. It's all good. You're, you're, you're having a fun time. Mm-hmm. Like you live a stressful life, whatever. But I, but I, I worry that like, um, you know, that he, if he's looking forward to it too much, and and yeah. if it's taking him out of the moment, yeah, man. And if he's if, if if like that's what he thinks of as fun, he's like, I can't wait till the person I love more than anyone else in my life to get the fuck out of here, yeah. so mm. that I can do this thing. Right, right. Then you then I worry him. about him. I and the I mean the right the flip side. So on the one hand, I've been that guy. Yeah, that's a, I mean that's a really good observation, man. Yeah. On the one hand, it's like guilt can be really punishing and really unfair to us and limit us. And then on the other hand, I mean guilt is like it means you care about something yeah. fundamentally. It matters to you. And it means you're in some way, it means you have a good heart. You know, yeah. maybe it's not always like in the well-served in that direction, but it's, it's not so bad to feel guilt. It doesn't mean you nope. have to listen to it. It's not bad to feel it. Yeah. Though. It's not bad to feel it. I yeah. mean, it's like this one psychiatrist who I interviewed told me, he's like, you feel guilty because you love, Yeah, you yeah. love those guys, mm-hmm. you know? And, 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 you know, he feels guilty because he, Loves his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And maybe because, um, I don't know, he's got some pangs like, I need to I need to take better care of myself. Maybe you're allowed to love yourself and maybe you're not. I mean, this isn't the way you want to treat yourself. You know, yeah. that's, that's maybe a harder one to unravel, but he seems to have concerns about it. I'm a big believer personally. Like, I on the one hand, I believe in sobriety because I've seen it work for people and sometimes you just need like that limit but I'm more of a believer in harm reduction. Like that's like, that's the alternative to sobriety and substance abuse circles. Um, which is like, you really measure like, it's not the substance. That's the problem. It's the harm it causes you and other people. Like that's what you really need Mm -hmm. to pay attention to. And right now, I mean, the worst that it's hurting him is, is his health a bit, like depending on what he's really putting into his body, you know, but it's also, it's motivating him to like, you know, when that, little vacation is over he's saying that he's you know doubles down on the i think if i'm remembering correctly on like the exercise and just being good you know he's the guilt can you know can motivate you to be to do good i mean i think like guilt is something i don't think we can ever get rid of hardwired into us yeah yeah and you can you can channel it you can Mm -hmm. channel it for good you know there is no like it's not i think you know you get that at the end of your life. I know some people believe this and it's like, they're going to tally it up and be like, 
that's not how it works. You know, right. if you have the guilt, why not use it? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it just, guilt just means you have a conscience, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's all it is. It's like you, you think about the consequences of your actions or you think about, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I guess, although it's different from the kind of guilt you talk about in your piece where it wasn't really, the, you convince yourself it was the consequence of your actions mm-hmm. when it wasn't in fact really the consequences of your, of your actions. Yeah. So sometimes there is, Right, that's, that's when it doesn't work. That's actually the kind of guilt that is probably not useful guilt, right? Yeah, but you know, and it's I everyone that I I spoke to, people with survivor's guilt, um, um, you know, and psychiatrists and stuff like that, they they say like, you know, as far as we can tell, like this is kind of like just your life from now on, you know, yeah. you'll never really get rid of that guilt, um, but you know, you can learn how to manage it and you can learn how to have a happy life. Mm-hmm. And that's like, for me, what I wanted to do, what I wanted so badly with that essay is to, is to reach people who had gotten to the point like me, where you're just like, why would I go to get help? Because what are they going to tell me? Yeah. You know, that God is fair, mm-hmm. that life isn't short, you know? Like, uh, you know, so that's like, uh, I wanted people who were thinking on that level, who had reached that level mm-hmm. of, um, of depression, despair, despair to, to see like, there is like a possibility and there is a way out of this yeah. and it's been done before. And I've heard from a lot of trauma survivors since I wrote that essay who have, who've reassured me, yeah. you know, they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. You know, that's, that's I just amazing. feel like there, there's this kind of like funny thing when you think about it, like that people are so afraid, especially men are so afraid to get help. Like when has seeking out help ever in the history of humanity, like resulted in like fucking your life? Like at the, <laughs> the worst, I mean, the worst it could do is like, it didn't really help that much. But like, when has it ever like actually made your life way worse? Okay, well, I'll give you and, a good okay, give example. Give me one example. Well, but, like for example, like I, I have worked with uh, police officers yeah. who, who did not want me to give them a diagnosis or anything because they would not be able to yeah. hold down their job. I see. So I see. Like, okay. You know, okay. So, so there's consequences of going, getting specific, which is fucked up. Yeah. It, it, it so, is. Fucked but I, up. And I guess it just speaks yeah. to like, um, so when has it not helped when, when people don't understand what, you know, when they can't really be helpful to you and they don't, when they don't really respect your pain right. and respect what you're going through, that's yeah. when seeking and, help right. is dangerous. Yeah. And I should, that was right. I jumped to too no far of a conclusion, <laughs> but I was just thinking about even like, I mean, this is, this is kind of, I mean, comparatively very trivial example, but like, um, like I've been having my, my three-year-old son has been having a lot of difficulties and, um, and my wife kept being like, read this book on how to, how to deal with the, him better. And I kept being like, fuck that. I don't want, you know, mm. cause, cause I felt like this is an acknowledgement that I'm a shit father. If I have to like read a book uh-huh. on how to be a yeah. good father. And then of course, once I actually read the book, I'm like, oh shit, this is super helpful. I really see all of these ways in which this advice, um, has helped me. And like, I, I can't believe my resist. Like I was resisting for that long. I could have been helped earlier. Yeah. And it was just like this embarrassing yeah. feeling of like, why was I so scared to like, <laughs> really quick. That is like one thing I noticed in, in Iraq and Afghanistan is just like how tight these communities of people are. I mean, like, especially in Afghanistan, it's like, 
you know, you, you, you go into a village, you can kind of expect there to be kind of a general attitude of this village, you know, mm -hmm. and like, they're very, they have a lot of rituals. They believe in God, you know, they rise with the sun, you know, they don't stay up watching TV because they don't have TV. You know, I'm talking about in yeah. Zari district where I was and, you know, um, and there's these, this ritual of life and traditions and stuff like this. This is how you do deal with this thing like that. Mm -hmm. You have a problematic three-year-old son or you know, sorry, problematic is not the word, but like, so, you know, it, sorry, <laughs> uh, but you know, that's having trouble, right? That, that someone, the, the, the group's going to have a remedy for that. You know, you're going to, they're going to have a way that they've always dealt with that. And um, here in this country, you know, we're left to figure out a lot of this stuff on our own and yeah. we're getting information from all over the place. Yeah. And to, to bring this full circle for veterans, you know, a lot of them are getting this information from Hollywood mm -hmm. and from, you know, politicians and lobby, you know, these groups who are invested in the, the veteran being crazy. Mm. People benefit from that mm. myth. You know, there it's it's a it's a multi billion dollar industry. You know, ending veteran suicide and these, you know, and yeah. and um, PTSD and all of this stuff. And so, like, I I just wanted veterans to be like, you know, you can look elsewhere mm -hmm. for this information. Mm. Um, you can you can you know like pick up a book and you can you know do your research, do your research and find out. I mean, this is your life. Yeah. You know, I'm just curious for you, you know, when you say like, you know, guilt isn't something that just magically disappears one day, it's, it's part of your life. Are you able, um, to, to just see it kind of come up and say, Oh yeah, there, there goes my guilt again. Are you ever able no. to do it like that? So it still kind of holds you captive whenever, whenever you feel it. It's, I mean, that's like, something I wrestle with how did how to convey what guilt feels like because it's not like I'm always just like feeling mm -hmm. guilty mm -hmm. but I am guilty mm. you know in my mind I I, I am a, I'm guilty of something just terrible mm. you know and I and I live my life that way and I um and I constantly feel the need to atone and to redeem myself. And what I wanted to do is I lost my ability to do that when this shit ate me up mm -hmm. and I couldn't write anymore because that was my atonement. Because when I, I didn't want to be a journalist and, but I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't want to be a journalist. And I decided to do that because I wanted to write journalism for the military and for veterans and for people who are actually there that would resonate and ring true with them. And I lost that ability to do that, you know, because mm -hmm. I had lost sight of that. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, the guilt can consume you and you, and you can go down this really dark hole where you've just decided that you're not worth or, uh, you know, worthy of a happy life or not even capable of having a happy life, or you can try to redeem yourself. You can live a life of redemption. And that's, an, an opportunity there, you know, yeah. I mean, like I, when you talk about life of redemption, what do you, what do you mean by that? Talking about the, the idea of losing, losing your ego and kind of 
yeah. being a part of something bigger. Yeah. And being a good person and living for other people and living for, you know, a higher purpose and stuff. And like, you know, I'm, I'm glad to, I'm grateful to be on this podcast and just like, because I, this is my redemption, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and to be able to say these things in a, you know, in a public way and to at least give at least, you know, just like one person like to hear this podcast mm-hmm. and it resonate with them. Like, and so when I'm doing this work, when I'm doing journalism and, you know, i I, I do really deep dive stuff and I've had so many moments that I was just like, you know, someone would call me to thank me for an article and stuff. And I just like ball, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's my life. And I, in, in, you know, it got, because financially it's really hard to, to, um, continue this. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, like I said, I'm like, I've been sleeping on, I've slept on like, seven different couches in the past two weeks and it's uncomfortable, but like, I'm, I'm happier Mm. because like, this is, I have to honor this thing. And Mm. I'm not saying everyone's got to become a writer who has survivor's skill, but like (laughs) find out what it is. Yeah. You know, like what, what can you get behind? Yeah. And, um, and it's better like that. Life is better like that. Mm. You know, it keeps you moving, you know, it's better to move while you're, you're above ground. Yeah. Don't just wallow in that shit. Yeah. So it seems like maybe for this guy, like just, just keep tabs on it and um, like, you know, start, like start to notice whether it's, whether it's like a, 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 a vice that's, that, that you're, that you have some control over it. If not, I think, I think getting into some of the stuff Adam's talking about of like, you know, uh, purposeful activities that, um, I don't know, channeling, channeling, whatever it is that this guy has that all of us have when we want to indulge in stuff that makes us feel like mm-hmm. shit and that we're humiliated. He's doing by the right thing, right? To hide. Yeah. He's doing, he's, he's reacting, I think in a, in a healthy way. Like that's incredible. I would, I don't, you know, like yeah, good for you. I'll for go to the gym like it. once. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> like after that, I mean, he's, he's really right. He doesn't really have a huge problem. It sounds like Yeah, he no. seems to have it. If, I mean, like imagine like, knows, you know, well, some, yeah. you know, a lot of people just do that their whole life. What he does, you mm-hmm. know, like once every, you know, blue moon, like people just live their life that way yeah. everywhere all the time, all across this country. People are just living that yeah. life. Yeah. 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 But it's, but, but I don't know. I mean, what do you think Avi? as, as the, Look, as I the, think, uh, I think if this guy were to come to you and, and I think we agree, we agree that the, this is in one sense, it's about guilt. Does he feel too guilty about this stuff? Which in, I think the antidote is either like, look, try out what if you commit to this if this is what you're doing go in with both feet you know if this is how you want to spend your weekend do it and enjoy it because that's why you're doing it and if you don't enjoy it for some reason then you can look at that you know and don't beat yourself up over it if you're going to work out work out because you want to take care of your body Mm. you know like Mm. um so i think it's like i think the idea of owning it like you said like what if you told your girlfriend about it yeah i think that's a cool thought experiment <laughs> actually yeah. i just i'll just say yeah. the other night avi and i um we were at a party um, <laughs> a rare instance of hanging out outside of this podcast yeah. we were at a party together and afterwards we we uh we went out to have dinner and i just ordered um a fucking giant plate of nachos that was like and and I literally ate the whole thing. <laughs> did, yeah, it was yeah. a giant, giant, like triple story yeah. thing of nachos. And and um and usually when I do that, because I did feel like shit, and I and I also drank too much, and I was hungover yeah, the next day. Me too. <laughs> but I felt like shit. But but what actually made made me feel better about it? I texted my my little brother, and I said, and I texted him the photo of the nachos, and I said, um, 
I just ate this. I just like pounded this entire plate of nachos to compensate for the Holocaust. <laughs> and, and just saying that, just yeah. making a joke out of it, because 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 you know it made it it made it so that I didn't feel guilty about it anymore. Yeah, I'm man, like, that's it. It's like you know, early on is this um in you know him asking this question here and now he he's realized okay all three of us have done this as well yeah, and i can not alone, i can yeah. name 10 people off the top of my head yeah. who you know yeah you're not alone and i early on in my research this vietnam veteran who I'm, who's a, a good friend of mine and i respect so much he said you just got to get with other combat vets mm-hmm. sometimes you got to mm-hmm. be reminded like that there's other people dealing with this shit too yeah. and it will make it see it will right. There's nothing Less wrong the with weight. you for having this problem or for struggling yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes it seem like it just eases the burden of it. You know, yeah. it doesn't feel like the, the universe is just bearing down on you. Yeah. Totally. Um, Adam, before we wrap, we usually uh, ask our guest if they've ever been given a piece of advice that's meaningful to them that still stays with them. And wondering what comes to mind for you. Through the process of writing this, I, I realized like that I, you know, well, I, I can be my own worst enemy, you know, and so I'm going to kind of sum up the advice that was being told to me constantly from every mm-hmm. direction mm-hmm. in the way, in the way that I interpreted it in the way, when I understood it, I was able to kind of um, move forward. And it was like this, like, I realized like perfectionism is the enemy or like the antithesis of courage. Mm. You have to, you have to do something knowing you will not get it right. Yeah. You will never get it right. You will never be a perfect person. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to do this thing. Like when your girlfriend goes out of town, you're going to, you're going to do that. Yeah. But you don't, you know, you could feel guilty about it and you can channel that, you know, but you don't have to condemn yourself yeah. for it. And, and, you know, and so when I started to really think about that on all different levels, um, and, you know, with my writing and just being like, it's a lesson that I learned in the army, you know, is that when I stop being so up my own ass about, you know, like, oh, I got to do this one little procedure, right. Mm -hmm. You know, and just being like, "Mm, I could fail. It just got a lot easier, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, when I first started writing, I applied that. And I had forgotten that. And, mm-hmm. and it was just humble yourself before the task. It's way more, you know, just like for me personally writing, you know, it's so difficult. Like, of course, you're not nailing it. Yeah. You know, every draft you send in, like the editor's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. <laughs> but so, yeah, it people can, were kept coming to me with different versions of that advice throughout the saying, stop being so hard on yourself, mm-hmm. man. It's okay to like make mistakes, you know, and, and that was it, you know, and that was it for the guilt too. Yeah. Where can people find you on social media or find your writing? Uh, I direct people to my, my website. It's Mm -hmm. just my name, adamlinhan.com. I mean, I have, I have Twitter and I'm like, you know, I'm not super active on Twitter and, um, yeah, I've written a lot of stupid stuff. So, you know, don't google my name just go to the website <laughs> the curated, curated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good we'll send them there. Right. thanks so much adam yeah thanks a lot all right that's it for our show this week 
as always, if you have a question, we kind of have the answers. You can email us at amanpod at gmail.com and we'll feature your question on the show. Better yet, leave us a voicemail, 917-426-4326. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heymanpod. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And better yet, click that subscribe button. Thanks. Have a great week.